Gods always behave like the people who make them. Zora Neale Hurston Hello, witches, women, and other magical listeners. I'm Hannah, the bipolar, bisexual host of this bi-weekly podcast of Witches and Women. Of Witches and Women is a Her Story podcast in which I explore the lives and histories of women forgotten, ignored, and misrepresented. This season of the podcast will include interviews with amazing women in medicine today, as well as the stories of women who made medicine in the beginning and who have improved it along the way. Women healers have historically been some of the first to be labeled as witches and the first to be oppressed, tortured, killed, and used for their knowledge by men in power. This season, we're honoring our magical legacy as caregivers, life bringers, and healers, and embracing our history of witchcraft, medicine, and empowerment. Be sure you and your coven are subscribed to the pod on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, please connect with your sisters through the Of Witches and Women Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or Reddit. If you haven't visited the website yet, please go to ofwitchesandwomen.com to subscribe to the Oracle newsletter, explore the magical artwork in the Grimoire Gallery, listen to and source check episodes in the Lamia Library, and buy Wicked merch in the shop. This season of the Of Witches and Women podcast is sponsored by Lua Ray Clothing. Lua Ray Clothing is a women-owned and operated small business. Check out their online boutique stocked with high-quality women's clothes that are flattering, comfortable, current, and inclusive by visiting luaray.com. That's L-U-A-R-A-E.com today. When you shop their seasonal collections, you can use the promo code WITCHES15 at checkout for an exclusive 15% discount. If you see something you love, order now because their collections sell out like that. And you, my lucky witches, get that exclusive discount. Today, I'm sharing an interview with Dr. Michelle Gamble, who has a doctorate in naturology and is a board-certified alternative healthcare provider. She has advanced training and certification in functional endocrinology and blood chemistry, colon hydrotherapy, heart math, childbirth, education, and doula support. Michelle is the founder and managing director of Sankofa Healing and Enrichment Incorporated, and It Takes a Village Ministry Incorporated, a nonprofit organization. She travels worldwide presenting community empowerment workshops on various aspects of natural health and wellness. When Michelle was just an infant, she had to have a part of her colon removed and had to use a colostomy bag the first year of her life. She has learned the importance of believing in the impossible and in trusting the body's ability to heal. She is now a single mother of five children, business owner, author, and educator. Witches, Michelle. Uh, Michelle, you started out in college studying math and English before you uh, began to pursue naturology in your graduate degrees. What made you want to take that shift? 
the major inspiration for me taking that shift is or was um well first and foremost i always had a passion for natural health and mm -hmm. i just studied it on my own so from i was a teenager 17 i was studying about the moon cycles and i was learning about um natural family planning so i've never been on any kind of birth control that has to do with chemicals or anything i always learned how to study my physiology learn to read the messages that my body was teaching me. And at the age of 18, I was able to come into a spiritual tradition that honored women and honored mm -hmm. the, the process of understanding that disease is really a matter of looking at the signs that our body, mind, hearts, and souls are telling us with regards to what we need to focus on in our mm -hmm. lives to pursue our destiny, to have the real manifestation of who we are and why we are. So at the age of, oh gosh, I don't remember how old I was, but my fourth child had just been born and I had my children in what we call stair steps. So none of them are more than say a year apart. Mm -hmm. And subsequently after having my fourth child and we were going through a significant transition as a family, my then husband was about to leave the military. He was a chaplain in the military. So there was a lot of turmoil going on in our personal lives at that point. And with my fourth child being born, I just slipped into what I can now realize is postpartum depression, but I didn't acknowledge it as that at that mm -hmm. time. And I went to see a psychiatrist because when another one of my children, she was having a little bit of challenges in reading and we were wondering if she was dyslexic. And in order to get that quote unquote diagnosis, you have to go to a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. So we went to the psychiatrist and while I was sitting there in the room, she was like doing complimentary sessions. So I was like, sure, why don't I, I mean, I'm feeling like crap. And, and I was very concerned because I had just had my baby and I wasn't bonding the way I know I had bonded in with the other children. So I went in for this complimentary session and within 15 minutes, less than, she told me, she diagnosed me as bipolar and she gave me a prescription. Hmm. I looked at this <laughs> prescription and it was that cataclysmic moment within me that said, hell no, I refuse to accept this as my reality. And hmm. it was just something was just a stark boom in my life. And in that moment, I said, you know what? I've got the tools to figure this out and I'm going to go and figure out what is happening to me in this moment. So at that time I, I did three things. I decided I was not going to accept that what I call medical hexing that she was putting on my life. Number two, I decided I was going to become empowered to figure out what was happening with me. And number mm -hmm. three, in that moment, I decided that I needed sisterhood. I needed to have support. I needed to communicate and connect with other women that I knew were going through interesting challenges. And I just knew that if we came together, we could do something and we could upset this crazy system that treats us as women as if we're powerless, as if we have no healing capacity, and as if we are diseased. You know, mm -hmm. so childbirth has become a disease in the sense that we have to go to a hospital and they strap us down and they shoot us up with drugs and all kinds of things for us to do something 
as natural as giving birth to a child. And in the entire process, all of the things that I looked at in my journey as a woman and the way in which we are demoralized within different structures in our society, I just became rebellious in terms mm -hmm. and said, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. And that's why I said I, I knew I needed to get an understanding of what was going on. And that's why I went back and I got my master's and then I got my doctorate in naturology. And then after that, I went and I pursued blood chemistry analysis and endocrinology and um, trauma relief and all kinds of different things. And now brain health and, and, and being able to analyze brain scans and things of that nature, because I want to ensure that we as women are empowered. And part of that empowerment journey is learning the language that they use around us. You know, mm -hmm. so a lot of times you go into a doctor and they use all of this blah, blah speak that intimidates you and makes you feel like you don't know anything. And in fact, they treat us as if we couldn't necessarily understand, you know, so it's like, oh, I won't bother to bore you with the details of what these labs mean. And I'm like, oh, heck no, absolutely not. So that's in a not so small nutshell. <laughs> yeah, that's, I feel like very important for those who can. And something that's really wonderful about having the internet is we have the option, like when we do get blood work back or results of a test or something, to look and make sure that what we're hearing from our doctors is consistent with, um, you know, everything else that's out there and that we know what our options are. I can't tell you how many times women come to me and they've had hysterectomies mm -hmm. or they've had, you know, thyroidectomies or They've had all kinds of things done where they weren't presented with options. And mm -hmm. then they get to me and they're like, my God, Michelle, if only I had known. And that is what I stand against. I stand against this blanket censorship of anything that doesn't fall into alignment with the conventional paradigm. I would like to believe that if we truly had an understanding of the consequences of these different protocols, that we would start to say, hmm, is that the only way I can feel good? Man, there's got to be something else. And mm -hmm. when she was handing out that prescription to me, as if that was the only way, I knew that there was something wrong. It can be quite overwhelming to try to go the natural direction. It is. It is. So. It's absolutely, especially when you don't have people who are well-versed in it. So right. in terms of supporting our medical doctors, as you are, as you are um, sharing, there are, they're, they're in a really difficult position. I, I tell mm -hmm. people all the time, I am very happy I am not a medical doctor for two reasons. Number one, people go to medical doctors as if they are medical deities, as if, you know, give me something, a quick fix. Most mm -hmm. people are not in the realm of wanting to do something different. And that's just the reality, you know, sure. because it is hard work. It, it is a challenge to change your lifestyle. It is a challenge to eat differently. It is a challenge to go to sleep at a certain time. It is a challenge to regulate your emotions and all of those things. So that is one difficulty that they face, that they are being demanded. You know, when people go in, they're, they're looking for a pill. A lot of people are. 
-hmm. And then the other side of it is that they don't get trained in anything else. Medical doctors get very little training, if any, in nutritional protocol, in body, mind, heart, soul connections. They have to go above and beyond on their own. And you have some doctors that are doing that through places like the Institute for Functional Medicine and, and other platforms. But it is above and beyond their quote unquote traditional teaching. And mm -hmm. so when I deal with a lot of people, I say, you know what? I would love for you to bring your medical doctor to this conversation. I would love for her or him to see what we're doing to be able to ask questions so that we become a team because this is not supposed to be adversarial. This is supposed to be everyone working together for what is in your best interest. And there are certain people, as you said, that are not going to or do not have the resources to because I've, I've dealt with certain people, individual, um, and I'm thinking of this beautiful woman with cancer. And mm -hmm. the reality is that she didn't have the financial wherewithal to be able to pay for the quote unquote supplements and herbs and things of that nature. But she had insurance because she was on Medicaid and mm -hmm. the insurance would pay for the conventional treatments. Um, so it is a very, very challenging landscape that we live in. It's definitely not black and white. Um, and as I said, my biggest promotion is for education, to give people those options. What medical system challenges have you faced um, or educational challenges uh, that you felt were unique to your race and gender as you got started? And um, what has frustrated you as you've gone down this more holistic healing path? Well, I'll be quite honest with you, Hannah. One Alrighty. of the challenges that I have faced is lack of visibility. <clears throat> and what mm -hmm. I mean by that is, I'm sure you've experienced this also in the sense that I get countless different invitations for 50 million summits, you know, like, hey, sign up for this summit, sign up for that summit, sign up for this summit. And I think, mm -hmm. and I, every time I look at a summit, and they are always health related because you know I, that's what I'm interested in. I look at the panel and I find it disturbing that there are not African-Americans on those panels. Absolutely. And I have even written into these people saying, you know, I refuse to believe that you cannot find African-Americans who are able to speak on whatever the topic is. I don't care what the topic is. Mm -hmm. That is extremely disturbing to me. And that has been, for me, one of the biggest challenges in this space because we are not seen as experts in that, in that platform. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I wonder if that has been um, an issue when people consider quote unquote alternative therapies, if they mm -hmm. look and, and I don't necessarily fit that profile, you know? So one of the things that I have made it as my passion is to go into specifically African-American communities. And mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons why we created It Takes a Village Ministry Incorporated to go to locations throughout the world that are underserved that don't get access to quote unquote alternative healing 
because in many respects, ironic as it may seem, alternative healing seems to be for people with lots of lots of money. Yes, there is you know, a, so a like, trend for that. You know, and, and it's so bizarre because we're really talking about natural health, which you would think should be less money. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that, you know, it's not available on your insurance. Right. You know, most of the people in this space, including myself, we don't take insurance. Um, it's a cash practice kind of thing. So it's, it's really fascinating because um, one of my heart's desire is to make my services available to more people. And that's why I do a lot of, I do a lot of public speaking. I do mm-hmm. a lot of workshops in the community. We do a lot of traveling from location to location with It Takes a Village Ministry. Uh, when we were in Jacksonville, Florida, we were even able to train a cadre of women to be doulas so that we could awesome. be doulas for homeless women. We were mm-hmm. doulas for homeless women. You know, who, who would have thunk? But yeah, just because you're homeless doesn't mean that you don't need support when you're having a baby. Yeah, you may support. not be able to support mm-hmm. it, but you need it probably more so than anyone else. Yeah. Um, somebody to advocate for you and what you need is so important. Exactly. So that has been one of the primary challenges um, twofold, which is that we are not seen on the more national landscape Mm -hmm. as people of color within the alternative practice arena. And the flip side is that um, how do we make these services accessible to people who are traditionally marginalized Mm -hmm. because of race and economics, which tend to go hand in hand. Yes, definitely. That's, those are very good points. Visibility, so important, (laughs) so important. And um, I spoke to a, a med student recently, had an interview, and it was the the same thing and I spoke to a midwife in San Diego and it was the same thing like there just aren't as many people of color and black women out there doing this stuff and then on top of that of course the compounding issue is it like systematic racism and sexism even when there are amazing women like you and amazing doctors and things out there going and hustling and getting things done and working on treating people and getting the message out there, they're less likely to be promoted. They're less likely to speak at conferences, things like that, just through the, you know, biased selection process. Well, it's a biased selection process and it's because we don't, we are not yet part of those circles, Mm -hmm. you know, so For instance, if I'm going to put together a conference, the people I'm most likely to ask are people that are my buddies that I I associate with. So, you know, it's the old catch 22, which Mm -hmm. is you're not there at the conversation table when they're making the plans. And at the same time, how do you even get to the table? Yes. So it's like, eh. Catch 22. You got to be at the table and you you can't get to the table. (laughs) Yeah. 
I would advocate um, for white people who are at the table to be better allies and to recognize, like, look around me and make sure that there's diversity. Make sure that there are women there. Make sure there are people of color there, people of different opinions who are at that table. Because right now there's not most of the time. For me, that's an intentional thing. For instance, Mm -hmm. I'm putting together an international teen leadership summit, and I'm very intentional in wanting to have different people at the table. I'm looking for people from the Jewish tradition. I'm looking for people from the Muslim tradition. I'm trying to get people from China. I'm trying to get people from India. I've gotten some people from the African continent. I have to make a concerted effort Mm -hmm. to make it reflect the diversity that I know is international. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just happen. Meaning these are not people who are ordinarily in my wheelhouse. They're not ordinarily in my Rolodex, okay? I have to make a concerted effort to ask somebody, to ask somebody else, to ask somebody else to find someone because I know they're out there and to have that validation that they are included, that they Mm -hmm. are being honored and that their cultural contribution to this world is appreciated, you know? Absolutely. And it means more to have it shown than have us keep talking about, oh, yes, well, Black lives matter and and Indian lives matter and Chinese lives matter. And that means nothing if it is not reflected in everything that we do and say. Mm -hmm. More so what we do. (laughs) Yes. Actions speak louder than words. And we, like across the world and of course here in the u.s right now we need to focus on being anti-racist and doing those things to make sure people have a seat at the table and i think it's especially important medically um because there are many studies and statistics about the african-american community and how doctors catch you know their heart disease or their skin cancer things like that later in the stages and so you know you're more likely to die of that it's also harder for them to get to a doctor Mm -hmm. um generally speaking and of course for black women in the united states childbirth is a huge risk (laughs) compared to every other uh developed country i know it's ironic it's it's yeah and you, you bring up someone some really interesting points which is one of the reasons why my fourth child was a home birth. Uh, And I remember that my first two children were born in Japan. Mm -hmm. And that was such a beautiful experience, you know, being born in a birthing center. My third child was born in the Naval Hospital in San Diego. And that was such a stark difference to me in how I was treated as a woman Mm -hmm. and how the birthing process was treated that I made sure that my fourth child was born as a home birth. But what I'm stressing in here is what you're saying, which is that there are so many disparities within the healthcare system. And for a variety of reasons, Mm -hmm. um, I actually wrote a proposal to speak at a conference on exactly this issue. I hope I get selected, but anyway, that's another Awesome. Um, But a big part of that is because I believe the culture is not being acknowledged. 
one of the big aspects of people's lives within the African-American culture is spirituality. Mm -hmm. Whether it be the church or the mosque or whatever it is that people have as their spiritual traditions, that is significant. And if that is not being honored, then there's a disconnect between the quote-unquote healthcare professional and the quote-unquote patient. Mm -hmm. So there are so many things that need to be addressed when we consider why it is that we have tremendously higher rates of chronic illness and death within the African-American community. So there's that, and then there is a history of experimentation, (laughs) plain and simple, with African-Americans. You know, mm-hmm. so for instance, I have here a book, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, it's called Medical Apartheid. And it talks about- oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a phenomenal book. It talks about the experimentation that has happened with people of color throughout millennia. Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, black folks don't go to the doctor, there's a reason for that. <laughs> there's a history. There is a history of that kind of suspicion and concern, and it's it's warranted to this day. Mm -hmm. The programs that we do with our non-for-profit, It Takes a Village Ministry, Mm -hmm. are so critical to me because I say, you know, instead of focusing on all of these different divides, you know, why don't we focus on creating programs that educate, empower, and elevate people? Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is we are all concerned about our children. I don't, I, I've never gone anywhere in the world and found that people aren't concerned about their kids. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. why don't we focus on how we can help our children to heal? So I do workshops and say autism and ADD and ADHD and depression and things like that. Well, Michelle, I've taken up more of your time than intended, but it's been <laughs> wonderful to talk to you. It is absolutely one. The time has flown by, Hannah. It has, and it's been very insightful. So thank you. If people want to um, reach out to you to arrange a conference or coaching or wellness session, how do they find you? Uh, They can find me in a couple of different ways. Number one, the easiest way is to text HEAL NOW to the Mm -hmm. number 66599. So just text HEAL now to the number 66599 and you'll be able to sign up for our Heal Thyself free course. And at the same time, you'll be able to communicate with me most easily. You can also go to our website. Well, we have a couple of websites, but you can go to theholistichealingdoctor.com. And from there, you can find out about our um, community programs through It Takes a Village Ministry and also our one-on-one and group programs, healing programs through Sankofa Healing and Enrichment. So you can go also to sankofahealing.com. You can mm-hmm. also go to Facebook and put in Dr. Michelle Gamble. You can go to LinkedIn. You can go to YouTube and put in Sankofa Healing. And we have a YouTube channel with many, many videos on different parts of healing journeys and lots of really good information and and interviews. So there you go. Today, 
we honor one of the most mysterious witches of the last few centuries, Marie Laveau, the powerful voodoo queen of New Orleans. Marie Laveau was born in 1794, a Louisiana Creole. That means she was descended from African ancestry, Native American ancestry, and French ancestry. Little is written about Marie Laveau, and much of her story comes from oral traditions. Marie was the illegitimate daughter of a wealthy plantation owner and a mixed-race Black and Choctaw Indian woman, Marguerite. In this French-colonized area, mistresses and illegitimate children were not quite as stigmatized as they were in the Protestant colonies of New England. So Marie grew up on her father's plantation, a free and educated woman of color. Some say Marie went to Mass every single day of her life since her teen years, and she was a devout Catholic. As an adult, Marie married Jacques Paris and had two children. Her husband Jacques was a Haitian revolutionary. When Jacques and other African immigrants fled Haiti to New Orleans, they revived African culture and voodoo beliefs in the area. Marie took interest. Later, Jacques either died or abandoned them, it's unclear, and Marie was left a poor, single, mother of color, fitting nearly all the least privileged positions in society. But Marie was resourceful. Now known as Widow Paris, Marie Laveau set up shop as a hairdresser to provide for herself and her children. As a hairdresser to wealthy white women, Marie became a confidant to many secrets of the upper crust. As her business grew, so did her faith. Marie was interested not only in Catholicism, but also in her mother's cultures and religion. She learned more and more about voodoo, and she sought out Choctaw principles and practices. Widow Paris also became a nurse. Marie cared for the lower classes, curing minor ailments, performing surgeries, and healing with a mixture of medicine and magic. She cared for prisoners on death row, expectant mothers, and even accepted the very sick into her home for 24-hour care. In 1826, Marie began a relationship with a prominent man. They lived together as common-law spouses, and Marie had 15 more children with him. With so many children to raise, she closed her hairdressing business, but continued healing and expanded her practice to include exorcisms and other magical arts. Marie also dealt in secrets, as she had been the ear to so many affluent women, she knew all the tea in Louisiana, and wasn't afraid to use her leverage to keep herself and her family safe and in power. As a voodoo queen, Marie encouraged people to recognize these spiritual forces in their lives, both good and bad. She brought together religious principles from many of her roots and taught and practiced beliefs that were seen as extremely effective. Some thought her an abominable witch. Others believed her to be a real-life saint. There's no question that she appeared to perform miracles and astonishing healings for anyone in need. Marie also sold griskris, which are African amulets, gave prophecies, and told fortunes. Some speculate that she was such an accurate fortune teller and spiritual guide only because of the secrets she knew. That may certainly be a part of it, but Marie Laveau's wisdom and spiritual roots extend beyond gossip, and her reputation lives on today 
and it is one of the centrifugal forces keeping New Orleans mystical to this day. Marie Laveau's assumed grave remains the most popular gravesite in New Orleans, a city full of ghosts, witches, vampires, and crypts. Near Marie's grave is another crypt, the Voodoo Vault, where visitors make wishes in hopes that a benevolent and powerful Marie Laveau will hear and answer their prayers. If you ever find yourself in New Orleans, I encourage you, look into Marie Laveau's history and even leave her an offering on her grave. But whatever you do, do not deface the voodoo vault. Many have defaced and graffitied the vault and none have had their wishes granted. Witches Let's Talk Shop, specifically the Of Witches and Women Shop. Yep, if you haven't explored the website yet, you need to. Ofwitchesandwomen.com has show notes and sources for each episode in the Lamia Library. In the Grimoire Gallery, you'll find beautiful witchy artwork by today's contemporary artists, and you can click away to their sites and see more of their work. And on every page of ofwitchesandwomen.com, you can sign up for the Oracle, our newsletter of obscure stories, artist biographies, and exclusive podcast content. And of course, please, please, please visit the shop. The Of Witches and Women podcast shop is full of fun merchandise from stickers for the entire coven to organic reusable cotton tote bags to magic color changing mugs to teas, tanks, and aprons that will let all of your friends know your witchy little secret. When you shop the Of Witches and Women website, I get a little bit of the profits so I can keep this podcast up and running. Plus, this season, some of the proceeds from the Witches Made Medicine merchandise will be donated to a nonprofit healthcare organization that we will choose together over the summer. Some of you awesome witches have already purchased your Witches Made Medicine merch. Thank you. And there's still time for the rest of you to check it out and get your merch today. For today's spell, I just have a heads up on a cool resource. If you are interested in knowing more about Marie Laveau, you are in luck. In 2006, workers dismantled an old home ravaged by Hurricane Katrina. There they discovered a tin coffee canister containing 13 oil-preserved papers covered in incantations, gris-gris, ingredients, and instructions. The first page was dated 1896 and signed by Marie Laveau. You can purchase the translated and bound copy of her work, The Lost Spells of Marie Laveau, on Amazon. And that link is in the Lamia Library. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure you and the squad are subscribed to Of Witches and Women on Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. And please write me a magical review on your podcast app so others can find and enjoy the show as well. Thanks for listening and sharing. Don't forget to connect to me and the pod on social media and look up ofwitchesandwomen.com for even more great content.
stay fierce witches, and I'll catch you next time. Of Witches and Women is brought to you by SHH Media, LLC.